0: Hello and welcome to The Ballot Box, global election coverage from a team of political scientists.
1: I'm Jonathan Parker in London. I'm Chris Terry in Manchester. I'm Andres Besserer in New York City.
0: Everyone and welcome to another episode of the ballot box. So, this week we're going to be tackling a rather bizarre referendum that happened in Andres's home country of Mexico on Sunday. We do know that when we polled Twitter on this, nobody wanted us to talk about referenda. However, I'm afraid you're getting it anyway because it- given the given that the, this event has happened it was too good opportunity not to have a little bit more of a discussion as well about generally how referendum referendum work hopefully it is not too boring for everyone given the lack of public demand we'll try and make it as interesting as possible for everyone i will ask how everyone is um but i will add a a, a, a um, extra question this week i want you to also say whether you think it's referenda or referendums uh, oh so We'll start with you Chris um and also please tell us where you are because I note that you are not
1: in your usual location no i'm I'm in uh, um Dorset today um uh, visiting my mum because tomorrow it's my grandmother's ninetieth birthday so all right so I'm looking forward to having a i've had a very nice day at the beach today, and I'm looking very forward to celebrating my grandmother's ninth decade on this earth <laughs> um I'd, Yes, in terms of <laughs> referenda versus referendums, I I actually prefer referendums. I buy um, Peter Kellner's argument that it should be referendums because it's a go, it's a go- and not a noun. <laughs> it's an excellent, uh, a- excellent level of analogue. That said, I'm generally of the view that uh, it's the English language. It's inherently flexible. <laughs> <laughs> just mm-hmm. people just call things what they like. <laughs> um.
0: mm-hmm. I, how how about you, Andres? How are you doing in New York? And what is your opinion on the plural? Uh,
2: I'm I'm doing well. All all good. I've been glued to like Mexican news following this re- referendum, mm. and I would go for referenda just because. Um, just because it's it's it sounds nicer. Um, actually, there's there's a similar kind of split in alumni, and there I go for alums, which is non-gendered, right? Because alumni <laughs> is male, the male universal of Latin. Um, but in this case, making something uh, feminine and there, like making it plural through a feminine ending, I like.
1: Fair enough.
0: What is it in Spanish, by the way?
2: Ah, referendos.
0: <laughs> Maybe as a neutral, we should go for the referendos. Oh. <laughs> I am fine, I guess, not too much to report. Um, I've discovered a new kind of uh, co working space that I can use in the neighborhood, which is nice getting me out of the flat. Um, I think I'm going to have a split decision. I think referendums is probably grammatically correct, however, I think referenda sounds a bit nicer um so as you as as chris and Andres will see from the show notes i put together i kind of use both of them interchangeably um which, i think that's fair, enough, fair. i think that's we'll probably fair do too. that throughout the episode yeah okay <laughs> all right so we'll start off um with a bit of a, a lowdown on the mexican vote um this, this time um so yeah on on sunday the first of august um we held this, and uh, refer- Mexico held this referendum um, on a um, kind of a, a unusual topic, and was widely deemed to be to be pretty kind of well, I mean, pretty useless, really, um, mm-hmm. in, the, in terms of the question that eventually got asked, um, which may or may not have been better from the democratically dubious initial question which mm-hmm. was first proposed. Um, so, yeah, Andres, why don't you tell us a little bit about? Um, what was asked of Mexicans and, and and why the referendum was held in the first place?
2: Great, yes. So I would just, because the the because the wording of the actual um, referendum is so important, I think it's worth just reading through it, even though it's a slog. And this will set the stage for understanding kind of the absurdity and also the significance of words um, you know, when when it comes to these delicate uh, exercises in direct democracy. So the actual wording of the question that Mexicans saw on their ballot on Sunday, August the 1st was the following, are you or are you not in favor of the pertinent actions being taken in accordance with the constitutional and legal framework to undertake a process of shedding light on the political decisions made in the past years by political actors aimed at guaranteeing justice and the rights of potential victims. Right. So, I, you know, there's endless commentary that could be made on this question.
3: Yeah.
1: But um, um... <laughs> yeah, and in fact, apologies to any listeners who became incredibly bored just doing that. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm sure it's very difficult for a lot of people to maintain concentration. Just reading it all, all hearing it being read.
2: <laughs> I know it's 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 long and 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 winding and full of like clauses. So so one of the things to note is that the wording of this question has, I guess, like three big problems. The first is that it is long and confusing, which I think is you know patent, evidently clear. The second is that it really doesn't mean anything. And the third is that it doesn't really give citizens a choice, right? So the, it's, it's a highly unspecific question because it talks about pertinent actions. What are pertinent actions? It talks about political decisions. What is a political decision? Is it going, I mean, going to war is obviously a political decision, but how about smaller ones? How about signing a document that then leads to, you know, buying computers or something that a bureaucrat does? That's, that's you know, maybe a, a political decision. Um, then it, it references past years. How far back in the past should Mexicans go to for this kind of pertinent actions, right? Should they go back a year, a decade, maybe, you know, since the Spanish conquest? If, if, you know, if it's if, who knows, the question isn't clear. So um, I, I think, you know, the it, it's such a weird thing to be talking about this, but it's important. So I think it's, 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 it's good to kind of parse the sort of grammar behind this. But finally, the question doesn't really give citizens a choice. Why? Well, because um, you know there's a constitutional obligation for the government to prosecute crimes, even if they happened in the past, as long as they're within the statute of limitations, right? So. Is this question asking should the government fulfill the law yes or no yeah and if it's a no there's still there's still the, the, the obligation to do that um so so it was unclear that citizens actually had a choice here right beyond the kind of merely symbolic thing
1: yeah and and, and uh, at its core what is a yes supposed to do
3: <laughs> Yeah.
1: You know, well what, what is voting for the, the 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 positive option supposed to be actually be doing to change make the go. exactly exactly no one
2: no one knew no one knew um and we'll talk about why no one knew and it's like this mm. terrible constitutional setup for a referendum not advised mm. no one please no one copy the mexican um law on popular <laughs> consultations it's not a good idea not not our best export product <laughs> um if you're a referendum you're um like your your mission in life is to give citizens a choice. Mm. If you're not doing that, you will have failed yeah. miserably in your mission in life.
1: Yeah, and that's, and that's... <laughs> indeed, one of the key arguments in favor of referendums is that they're supposed to kind of give people a kind of clear clarity. <laughs> well um, you know, do the vote for this and this will laugh. Definitely not the case
2: in 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 you know, in Mexico, in the referendum we're talking
1: about, mm. yes. Why was this referendum held then? <laughs> right, yeah, it's a
2: good question. Um, and, and the answer is long, it's a bit of a long story, but it's worth telling, I think. Um, Amno came to power, who's the president of Mexico. We've talked mm. about this, you know, this kind of like upheaval yes. in, the, ballot, yeah. in the, Le- the ballots and stuff.
1: Yes, um, listen to our episode on the Mexican midterm elections for anyone who um, hasn't and, and desires a little bit of extra background for, um, where Andreas thought very eloquently about um, uh, about um, the state of Mexican politics at the moment, more generally. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Yes, good. It's a good plug for our previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of his main, uh, one of the the main reasons he came to power was because he was ostensibly uh, he was he was meant to represent a break with the past. So it's no surprise mm-hmm. that he would then argue that, um, you know, politicians who had committed crimes of the past should be held accountable somehow. Maybe that means never voting for them again. Maybe that means you know imprisoning them, etc. But he began to float the idea that there should be both a truth commission as there was in South American countries after the end of the dictatorship, which Mm -hmm. which is an analogy that only holds, I think, for his staunchest supporters. Because we, in the Mexican mythology or political history, we kind of think that 2000 is the year of the democratic transition. But hardcore AMLO supporters believe that to be his, his election. So that makes sense for some of his work. Mm. And and that would include putting ex-presidents on trial. Now, putting ex-presidents on trial for what is a really good question. And that's been very, you know, it's mm. it, he has, he's never really spoken about what crimes they committed. Mm. So he's spoken of political actions or political decisions, which were you know, maybe there were the wrong political decisions so, for example, starting the war against drugs, I think that that was the worst political decision in Mexico and probably like a century. Um, but is it criminal. I mean that's the point is, you know wh- where do you draw the line and that you know the, that finesse hasn't been a part of public discourse. yeah so
1: yeah and uh, there have certainly have been Mexican presidents who've been accused of things that could be construed as crimes. Um, absolutely you know, i mean Amlo's direct predecessor was accused of um some fairly um shocking corruption scandals if i recall correctly um yeah. and um, there was um a particular notorious one who was accused of crimes against humanity in the 70s am i correct i think
2: that's right yeah. for for ordering mili- the military to fire against uh, a student protest which yeah. is really brutal and, and the, the immediate predecessor, Peña Nieto, he has a very long list of corruption scandals and abuse of power. I think the latest one was that he was found to have spied on 15,000 Mexican journalists, politicians, and public figures through Pegasus. Right? Mm-hmm. The Guardian The Guardian had that story. So mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's, that's horrific. And, and it is probably, and probably constitutes a crime. But if it does, and there's evidence for it, you don't really need a referendum mm-hmm. to start a, a judicial process. And in fact, you probably don't want to, you don't want to put that um, up for a vote because you don't need to subject it to the uncertainty that people will vote no, right? Mm-hmm. But you just go ahead and, and you know, you prosecute that, um, yeah. which is one of the strange things about this story. I mean, he obviously wanted a bump in his popularity, and he was trying to piggyback off this rather popular notion of prosecuting ex-presidents, although he didn't present the evidence, etc. cetera. Um, so the original wording of the question, um, as presented by AMLO, was something like, do you agree or not that we should follow the law and investigate and punish the ex-presidents? And then he named the ex-presidents. Mm-hmm. Sal- Salina, Cedillo, Fox, Calderón, Nieto. Mm-hmm. right? But that's not the wording that came out in the end. So mm-hmm. we, you know, the wording is, is totally different from that, and yeah. and it doesn't include ex-presidents by name, and it's not simple at all.
1: Yeah, and even that wording, I mean, it admits in its very question that what it's asking is that the law be followed, which <laughs> is, <laughs> is uh, like literally a referendum on whether the law should apply. It seems like an odd, literature. It, totally right. That's, a, that's an excellent point.
2: That's an excellent, excellent point. Um, and so, where, where did we get from, how did we go from this wording that includes ex-presidents, to the wording that, you know, is kind of very wooly and up in the end? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just intuitively, we know that the problem with asking a question like, oh, should we investigate and punish whoever, and put that up for a vote, isn't really compatible with the rule of law, yeah. <laughs> which, has, yeah. which has for a certain procedure to be followed. And rights of even, you know, um, ostensible criminals to be upheld, right? And uh you can't, you just can't subject <laughs> criminal justice to a vote. Um and it, like Chris said, you can't vote on whether or not to follow the law. You have to follow the law um mm. and and the constitution. So it was clear that this was. Kind of more of a publicity stunt than anything else. Um, so you know, but uh, trial by vote is also unconstitutional in Mexico, as it should be. And according mm-hmm. to the procedures set up by the Constitution and the law, Mexico's Supreme Court has to decide whether or not a question is lawful and constitutional. And in the past, there had been five different. Um, referendums, which had been, I said referendums, I should have said referenda, according to my preference, (laughs) (laughs) which which were sent to the Supreme Court asking to please include this as a question. One was about the minimum wage, another was about uh, reconfiguration of the Congress so that there were fewer um, proportional representation seats. Um, another one was about uh, a reform to the constitution about energy policy. And in all of these cases, the Supreme Court has said, no, you can't ask about this because the law is quite strict about what you can ask and what, you, you know, what, what topics are off limits. This topic was clearly off limits. I mean, it, it was there's no doubt about it, but the Supreme Court in a, in a really bizarre twist took a part of the law, which allows them to modify questions for the sake of clarity, I might add, <laughs> and proceeded to modify the question so that it would be vague enough to not go against the letter of the law. That's already really concerning. I remember in October when this happened in 2020, I was glued to my phone and I was like, wow, the Supreme Court has basically said that it will be a very partial buffer (laughs) to the executive now. Because that's what it was. I mean, you know, the president asked them to ask for this question, and there was enormous sort of deference towards the president from the part of the Supreme Court Justices.
1: Is that something to do with just how popular AMLO was at that time? Or um, were they afraid that he might... um, something to them or um, something like that? Is there uh, there kind of a political reason behind this or 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 is it just seemingly random Mm decision? Yeah that's a great question. I've heard several versions
2: and you know there's several versions floating around one of which says the more kind of favorable one says that the president of the supreme court who was the one who wrote the opinion in the end, who which got through, I think. No, I, he didn't write the opinion, but he was the one who instigated the vote that changed the question and then was ultimately favorable. He's tried to this, this he's tried to cultivate a relationship with AMLO that kind of tempers him. And so mm. that kind of doesn't allow for the more rash decisions to be implemented. And so in this version of the facts, this was a maneuver to um, make it seem like Amlo got his cake and ate it, but actually he didn't because the question was totally kind of like, it became a sort of woolly mess. Mm -hmm. The other version of the events holds that several justices in the Supreme Court are there because AMLO appointed them and they're strong loyalists. And you have to consider that one of the justices that was named by the ex-president, he was found to have an offshore account in Switzerland and he received a very polite uh, phone call probably, telling him, oh, we noticed you have this offshore account. It would be a good idea if you retired early from your position. And proceeded to do that, and left a seat vacant so that amdo could name a Supreme Court justice. So there's also a lot of pressure on the Supreme Court justice, which is terrible. It's a sign of you know a breakdown mm. in the division of powers. But maybe I mean, it's also it's also true that Mexico has never had this like perfectly balanced, um, you know, the perfect kind of checks on on the president's power. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah i mean yeah and uh, um, given the legacy of the period of dictatorship which was very much a one party state um, and the fact that mexico has broadly kept the same constitutional <laughs> setup but it transitioned into democracy the less kind of makes
2: sense yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, one there's several, I, yeah, so as part of it is kind of like the people who are still involved in politics were involved in politics before. Part of it is also the fact that ministers, like the justices, do not have a lifetime appointment. So they have to do something after they serve. And you know they're probably ambitious. Um, and so they're looking for something else to do. And that but 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 what was surprising was that the president of the Supreme Court would openly kind of embrace the president's project. And he sometimes even accompanies him on like certain tours and stuff. So that's that is kind of that is concerned. That's I mean it's concerning on, on wh- whichever yeah. version of the events you believe, it's it's concerning on both both sides. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's odd. Mm. No. <laughs> it really is. It really is.
2: It's not. It's not great. So that's how the that's how the question changed. So it was changed by a majority of Supreme Court justices, and it was changed so that it could fit what the law allows for referenda to ask the the citizenry, um, and that meant keeping some sort of references to the original law, but then you know obviously not. Not making it trial by by vote, um, and not you know not violating constitutional guarantees of even you know the worst of criminals who who have them under the Mexican constitution so um, it was a split decision though that's that's also important. There were justices who you know clearly were very clear about the fact that this was a constitutional Okay. So, yeah, maybe it's a good time to talk about the constitutional setup of the of referendum and referenda in Mexico. Yeah, um, this is,
1: yeah, this is the first time that Mexico has ever actually had a referendum at the national level, at least, isn't it, right? Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, what a and what a constitutional question to start on <laughs> your first bit of nationwide direct democracy. Um, so yeah, what, what, what actually is the, the constitutional law?
2: So, um, yeah, we have something called the federal law of popular consultations, which is the official name of the law, and has a corresponding set of paragraphs in the Mexican constitution. So both of these things were changed in 2014, and then they suffered a subsequent modification in 2019. But I'll just kind of summarize what the main contours of this law say. One thing that's important is that the constitution and the law say very clearly that referenda cannot occur on the day of elections, of federal elections. They must happen on the first week of August, and federal elections must happen on the first week of June. And the reason for this difference is that um, legislators did not want referenda to influence federal elections, so they want to. Which makes you know makes logistics more difficult, makes it more expensive, but you know I think that that's a fair reason to not want referendum on the same day, because then you could ask a very popular question. Like, should ex-presidents be put in prison for all the horrible crimes that they've ever done? Or do you really like puppies and ice cream um, Mm. and attach it to the federal election and then campaign on puppies and ice cream and not on your record? (laughs) Um, So it's a smart, I think that that's a smart um, part of the law. Mm. but, But the law is not very smart overall and it's not very good for direct democracy either. And I think I would love to have this discussion with you guys in a moment about, you know, what is the proper thing that direct democracy should be about? Mm. So there's no campaign period contemplated by the law or by the constitution. And this is a problem because unlike other democratic systems, Mexico is highly regulated in its campaign setup. So if there's no campaign period, that means that other... Um, other parts of the law aren't activated, such as giving parties more airtime or organizing federal debates. Mm -hmm. These things have to happen through a centralized electoral authority in order, because the Mexican system is kind of like the German system in that it's obsessed with a fair, uh, like a a level playing field, right? Mm -hmm. So it needs to be in the law for it to be activated. Um, So there's no campaign, which meant that there was very little information, actually, and there was never a debate around what the, what the, you know, the, about the this first referendum. The question must be a yes or no question. And there, there are, there, there's a list of topics that are off limits, according to the law and the constitution. Some justifiably off limits, such as limiting human rights or, you know, limiting procedural guarantees. These cannot be subjected to vote. Mm. Some seem a bit exaggerated, maybe, and have, you know, make, make the Mexican direct democracy regulations, kind of, it puts them in a straitjacket, I think, because you can't ask about the structure of government. So like, you know, whether it's a republic, a federation, there's no changes that can happen to the electoral system. You can't ask about the budget. And you can't ask about infrastructure projects that are ongoing. So, you know, it leaves the question you can't also can't ask about the armed forces or the Navy and security issues. So, it leaves the question of what can you ask, actually, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. um, it seems like a lot of things are off the table to begin with, which is the reason why the Supreme Court said that the previous um, uh, referenda, which had been, you know, put forth were unconstitutional because it's very restrictive what you can ask. Yeah. Finally, um, well, two, two final things. If at least 40% of enrolled voters participate in the referendum, the results of the referendum are um, mandatory for the Mexican state. In the event that that would happen, I think Congress has to interpret what it mean, what that mandatory nature looks like. Because it might not be clear from the question, so that's all. Uh, that's you know, it, it, that kind of gives direct democracy a little bit of teeth. Although you know, who knows what could actually be asked. And finally, the Supreme Court plays a really important role according to the constitutional setup, because it reviews the petitions for a popular consultation and can change the wording of the question as we just talked about for the sake of clarity, in all kind of Kafkian irony. Um, and then um, uh, the Supreme Court also has to, you know, um, rule whether or not the, the the subject itself is, you know, within the bounds of the law and the constitution. So that's the kind of restrictive constitutional setup of direct democracy, and um, it obviously structures the way in which the campaigns leading up, the campaign leading up to the to the vote um, looked like. So essentially there was no campaign as Mexicans know it. There were very few, um, there weren't any TV advertisements. There weren't any ca- like rallies, there were no debates. Doesn't mean that it wasn't talked about. So the, refer- the the referendum was talked about all the time by the president, by the media, by other parties, just in a kind of non-structured way and not in a very productive way I'd say. So um in the end there was talk about the referendum but the question was vague and even the people who even the 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 people who had originally petitioned for the consultation to happen were not put on the spot to develop a vague idea into a set of public policy goals and so what happened is with this vague question no no kind of um finessing of what this means, what the, pro- what the proposals were, everyone could kind of say that the referendum was about something different. And so there was a battle for the interpretation of the referendum. so the president obviously and his allies continued saying it was about um, putting ex-presidents on, on trial. Then a lot of kind of, I'd say, kind of intellectuals and journalists not all of them, but a lot of them. And, and the opposition said it was a referendum about nothing because it was subsumed by the law and the constitution. And then you had some, I think kind of the more interesting part of this was that some groups of civil society, including the Zapatistas, who are well known around the world, said that it was a referendum on the, state, the state's responsibility vis-a-vis the victim's of the war against drugs in Mexico and kind of the rampant violence that has embraced the country that has you know that that has, that the country's been subjected to for the last um 10 years and there's you know hundreds of thousands of victims so so they started to construe the narrative that this should actually that it should indeed um foster a truth commission but that the vic- victims should be at the center of whatever happens and not you know ex presidents So but there was a real there's a real battle going on still about what the referendum means and what should happen. So it was it's more about a game of interpretations than of the actual results, which which was foreseeable, I think, with such a vague question that each, you know, that there would be different voices in the political uh, arena trying to to make it about their own agenda.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, um, one of my um, favourite non-fiction books is, uh, 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 written by a journalist about politics, is um, a very good book about the um, Quebec referendum in 1995, which Mm -hmm. also infamously had a very confusing question, albeit there was a little bit more clarity in terms of what was being debated there, Um, and The book is basically a series of interviews with major players on both sides about how they intended to interpret the result of a yes vote. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and, and it's kind of one of the major themes that comes up. So for example, the the then premier of Quebec essentially wanted to, no matter how thin the majority was, Wanted to use it to essentially prepare the ground to unilaterally declare independence. Whereas, mm-hmm. for example, Lucien Bourgeois, Ber- who was um, a prominent member of the, uh, who was the leader of the Bloc Cubic, while the federal Quebec Nationalist Party, took a kind of more moderate stance that um, unless it was a very, a kind of very clear majority, that um, he would be kind of Campaigning, he would say, use it to argue for kind of more autonomy rather than outright independence. Um, so yeah, this uh, yeah, this stuff can happen with very unclear questions.
2: Yes, if I were a PhD student beginning my PhD afresh, I might consider the role of interpretation um, mm. in. in referenda Um, and Mm. hypothesize that the less clear a question is the larger the room for a battle of interpretation. Yeah. And I'm going to be even more nerdy and reference um, Kingdom's book, Agendas, Alternatives, and Public Policies, who basically says that public policy is about not rational problem-solving, but about solutions looking for problems. Mm -hmm. So people have agenda, like, you know, policy preferences, and they look for an opening, and, you know, referenda are kind of this opening, and they kind of fit their agenda into what's going on.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I think this is actually something that, oh, obviously, Britain's relationship with referendums has come in for quite a lot of stick in recent years, I think it's fair to say.
3: <laughs>
1: um,
2: if ever there was a British, you know, British epitome of understatement, yeah. um, you win that prize, Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but one thing the Electoral Commission has, you know, the, the um, referendums here are governed by a frameworks that's um, within a parliamentary act called Pipera, um which Actually set up the electoral commission as an existing body only in 2000, so it's a relatively new thing. But um, there, the, the that also has a, a, a statement that the electoral commission has a role in clarifying what referendum. Say. And it actually says that the that parliament doesn't have to pass what the um, electoral commission says into law if it do, doesn't want to. But the electoral commission has a has an advisory role over question wording. And the electoral commission has taken that very seriously, and it uh, it um, it runs focus groups and opinion polls whenever um, whenever uh, referendums come up to test how different um, wordings might affect things, which is all really interesting research. And I think the questions that we've tended to produce have been very clear. (laughs) Um, You know, say what you will about the twenty sixteen referendum, but should the UK um, leave or remain within the EU is a very clear question <laughs> like, yes. uh, yeah. um, I
3: think hmm.
0: you can definitely say that about the the 2014 Scottish vote as well I think the, yeah. the stuff that we went through with that I mean even just the simple thing that we ended up without the do you agree question which the Scottish government initially wanted which yes um, because seems yeah. yes do you agree question yeah.
1: Do you agree questions are usually agreed to be leading. Um, yes mm-hmm. but
0: the, the SNP originally wanted this um, uh, multi-option referendum which would also put a kind of more advanced state of devolution on the ballot as well mm. which would have been an incredibly confusing result to mm. um, to mm. uh, to interpret if both of those had come out in the, infer- the affirmative. The SNP said that even if the greater devolution option got more yes votes, they would still take that as um, as legitimacy for independence, which yeah. is questionable, really. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, they'd so the, yes,
1: yeah, and the twenty fourteen question was similarly very simple. Yes. Um, it, yeah, it, sh- it was just um, should Scotland be an independent country? Hmm. Um, which yeah, to the point, nice and clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, yeah I, I think we've, yeah, I think that's something that we have succeeded on, but it is something that a lot of other countries mm. have struggled with. Um, not necess- not always for whatever reason. Um, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You'll know a little bit more about this than me, Jonathan, but hasn't there been some, uh, albeit while there's never been a legal referendum in Catalonia, like, um, there's been some mm-hmm controversy around some of the questions that have been asked in like in what consultation exercises or (laughs) whatever you want to call whatever it is that Catalonia has been doing. (laughs) Yes
0: yeah I mean none of them have been as as clear and concise as I mean I think the 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 2014 um, kind of um, popular consultation or whatever it went under in the end um, Mm. asked some weird question about whether they wanted catalonia to be a state and then a subsidiary question about whether they wanted that state to be independent um and you can Mm. debate all day with how you want to interpret it do you want to be a state to mean um as well but yeah yeah, i think this is general that uh these if you don't have this kind of oversight you can also end up with these questions which not necessarily have um are unclear but can be very long with a very clear agenda i think the quebec one's a good thing to bring up also the the 1980 quebec independence referendum one which was
1: even worse longer. yeah
0: it's so long um i'm debating whether to read it or not <laughs> On
2: <the> one- only, <laughs> only 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 if you do it in french
0: <laughs> well, different. this is the uh, this, this, one, right?
1: this this is the <laughs> other thing that um, of course Quebec <laughs> questions you. have to Quebec questions have to be on the ballot in both languages as mm-hmm. well. so yes. <laughs> the ballot ends up being even longer. <laughs> uh, so
0: the Quebec one also is that they both of them are very long. The nineteen eighty one even longer, and both of them basically set out how the Quebec government wants first wants to reach some kind of. Um, association agreement with the remainder of Canada. Yeah. Basically just like trying to get a formulation that will um will will kind of soften the scariness of of independence yeah. um, enough to get a yes. The other yeah. one that I wanted to highlight was the 1986 um NATO membership referendum in Spain. Um which again was this was the really really long question. Um, if we if we are going to read one, I might read this one out. Um, so basically in 1982, the socialist government had been elected on a platform opposed to, to maintaining Spain's new membership of NATO, um, then changed its mind when it came to power. So it held this referendum on continued membership of NATO, where it was now campaigning to stay in NATO. But it it made this very long question, which was kind of almost... a. sort of apology for for supporting nato um so the question was the government considers it convenient for national interests for spain to remain in the atlantic alliance and agrees that such permanence be established in the following terms one non-incorporation into nato's military structure two prohibition on the installation storage or entry of nuclear weapons Mm. on spanish territory three gradual reduction of the united states military presence in spain in your view should spain continue to be a member of the atlantic alliance subject to the terms agreed by the national government? And this was the entire question, which appeared on the ballot paper. Um, it did result in a yes vote, but with quite a high abstention uh, abstention rate. Yeah, uh, and, I, yeah. And, and,
1: it, and quite a high um, level of invalid votes cast as well, mm. which is often uh, often used as a way of protest voting in, in Spanish-speaking countries. Um, <laughs> Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think what's really special about that one is it could easily be four referendum questions. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Should should Spain be in NATO? Should um, Spain be incorporated into NATO's military structure? Should there be a prohibition prohibition on nuclear weapons in Spanish territory? And um, should there be a gradual reduction of the United States' military presence in Spain? Four questions. The yeah. Clear. <laughs> exactly.
2: And 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 here I think you know, good thing to bring in is is the the Chilean plebiscite where they where citizens were asked, do you want a new constitution? Yes or no. And then on a separate ballot, they were asked, if there is a new constitution, who would you want to uh, write it? The mixed convention or the purely new convention? And then it mm. explained what each of these conventions looked like. So it was a clarifying question, right? There was two questions in a row. I And that's kind of, I think that that's an awesome practice because you get two really different mandates um, that allow for less room for
1: interpretation.
2: Mm. Yeah, less room. For, so I, you know, if ostensibly going back to a very tricky question and I fear getting into this territory, but if the Brexit vote had had do you want the UK to remain part of the European Union, and then had a subsequent kind of other ballot um, about what that what leaving the EU looked like? You know, there would have been much less pain and and also much less kind of, mm. I guess, uh, what would you call it? You kind of, I guess, the Conservative Party just got a lot more power through the lack of clarity in the in the question
1: yes in the interpretation yes. yeah because this is fundamentally like uh, you know there's now in the uk a, a, a lot of debate over like the role of referendums that has been uh, like low-level debate but you know some some discussion of it anyway you know there's a traditional constitutional conservative position in the uk which is that. Uh, referendums are the tool of demagogues, um, because it's like something the French do, (laughs) and I thought it's bad. (laughs) um, But but I I generally side towards the view that they do have uses in limited circumstances, because what referendums can do is, they can help embed things in a way that, and give them an appearance of very strong legitimacy. Um, so I think for, you know, there's an argument for using them for certain constitutional questions, for mm-hmm. instance, um, and, um, or, or, or questions of peculiar national importance. I don't particularly like the Swiss Californian thing of asking referendums all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think very limited cases, they, the, the, there's, there's a, a useful, um, but yeah, they, they have to be clear. And one problem that happened after after the twenty sixteen referendum was you have a yes vote on a question that appears clear but is actually quite complex when you start drilling down into it because there's so many different ways to leave the European Union and the fact that we didn't have a plan <laughs> a clear plan on how we were going to do it was yes a problem. Um, I think I think it would have been interesting if we'd promised from the get-go a kind of two-stage referendum where, first of all, you ask about whether you want to leave the EU and then you have a vote on the whatever the country negotiates. Um, but yeah, obviously that, that did not happen. <laughs> and, and it's very hard to then kind of go backwards once, um, once it's not been promised in the first place.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get um, into loft, the lofty territory of high theorizing. But uh, direct democracies in contemporary democratic systems are kind of, they're the, in a sense, they go against the logic of representative democracy, right, which is mm. you elect someone who does a lot of the thinking. And there's a whole kind of, I don't know, debate around, is it do the people represent your interests or your preferences, which might not no. correspond? And Burke um, is more, mm. you know, he says it's about interests, and Rousseau is sometimes considered to be more about
1: um, preferences. Yeah, yeah I And mean, to some extent, you, you, to some extent, you, you then kind of work your way between it by letting people define for themselves by having the chance to, you know, hold their hold their representatives accountable. Correct.
2: Um, correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. but
1: direct democracy screws up with that logic
2: in a in a way. Mm. Um, to begin with, it's it is one moment in time, um, mm. while representative democracy is you know a set of years that is then can then be you know reelected, etc. Major decisions could be made at one point through direct democracy. But people could change their minds, it could be very much a question of, you know, even the wording of a question. Do you agree might have enough some I mean, I, I actually don't fall for that I don't think that that makes a huge difference. But if the votes decided by only a couple, you know, a few 1000 votes or a 100,000 votes, mm-hmm. then maybe, maybe even the wording might change the final outcome. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and as well you know, uh, getting back into the kind of aftermath of the UK, which obviously is very relevant for us on this podcast, <laughs> um, particularly, uh, it, it, well, part of the clash was then you have a referendum that um, that points the country in one direction without a clear interpretation of what that direction means. But at the time that the referendum happened a majority of UK MPs were arguing for the other side. So therefore you have a, you have a kind of fundamental clash between what the people have decided and what their representatives wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, So then, and then you've got to ask them, then they have to be asked to interpret what the will of the people is in that regard. (laughs) Um, And of course that creates some, that that created a lot of tensions in some ways you know even within the conservative party the idea that you know some um some people in the conservative party advocating possibly softer versions of brexit or you know revisiting the question again were to some extent going against the will of the people or you know they were they were anti-democratic but you know in some in in some representative forms of democracy they could be arguing they could be argued to be advocating kind of democratic positions in in other ways um and so it, it fundamentally posed questions around what the role of the mp is um in the aftermath of a referendum you know, um how, how do these two things interlink? which was a question that we hadn't Really, have had to think about
3: before.
1: <laughs> um, particularly, with, and and of course because the UK has an uncodified constitution, because referendums are very rare, there isn't like a a clear um, a, a clear um, guide or a clear you know there's nothing in the law which says how referendums are supposed to interact with how mm. MPs behave. Yeah, so. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs>
0: yeah, I suppose the the other thing about this is that the UK um, has used the referendum device. I mean, a referendum is is, is always inherently a majoritarian device in any case, mm. but used it in an incredibly majoritarian way. Um, mm. In it was fifty percent plus one for. I mean, in the Scottish case as well, for very significant mm. decisions which in the European context is not entirely normal not to have any kind of any kind of provisions, which in some ways would 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 make sure that the overall answer was represented something of a consensus, the overall kind of vote. Yeah. Positive. So there's no, um, many will do for certain types of vote, especially kind of constitutional things, you have to pass uh, much higher sort of um, percentage of the vote than um, 50% plus one, um, especially if it would be kind of like independence votes and stuff like that, something like Montenegro in 2006. Yeah, Montenegro had to get to five, yeah Yeah, um, and then other cases you have to achieve both a popular majority and a geographic majority as well. So in Switzerland for certain types of referendum, mm. um, it's also constitution. Yeah, any, yeah. yeah anything
1: to, to alter the constitution, yeah. 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 And, and then and the- there's
0: um, minimum turnout as well, which wasn't specified in the UK for the Brexit one. Yeah, um,
1: although although I think I think it would have the turnouts that we had would have gone over um, every European turnout threshold that I'm aware of. Yes,
0: yes, I um, know. No, I'm not. I'm not arguing that that would have no, no. Brexit in some way, but there's the thing which
1: absolutely in not. Places, no, but yeah. it, is a, it is a yeah. It is a question, and it, it, yeah, and that has positives and negatives itself. For example, one thing, yeah. Um, so obviously, Romania is a country that I'm intimately known for, Romania has has turnout thresholds. Um, it used to be fifty percent that you had to get for a referendum to be valid. It's recently been dropped to thirty percent. Um, and, and that had, and that has had, a couple of annoying effects. One of them is that it's turned boycotting referendums into a political tactic, um, much more so. So you have referendums that have very low turnout, but where 99% of people have voted one way, <laughs> um, which obviously um, undermines them. And, and like sometimes that's valid, but sometimes. Sometimes it's clear that if, um, if if people had turned out, if there hadn't been a boycott and people had turned out, the, the referendum would have passed. Um, that was, for example, the case in there was a referendum. Um, this is a particularly annoying part of the Romanian constitution on multiple levels, but there was a referendum to impeach the former president Vasilescu. Which got only 46, which got 46% turnout, which went overwhelmingly in favor of him impeaching the president because he was very unpopular at that point. Um, and this was, um, and it needed 50%, and that's one of the reasons why it's been dropped to 30% now. Um, because, um, more people actually voted to impeach the president than had voted for him in the first place. (laughs) So, you know, the kind of sense of. We can't get rid of this guy. <laughs> uh, and despite the fact that all well, this turnout had happened, there was also kind of suggestions of foreign intervention because Viktor Orban turned out in Hungarian areas and told people there not to vote because the EU wanted to keep. Um, so obviously, that's obviously created tensions um, and, and in what was a very volatile part of Romanian political history. So, yeah, turnout thresholds, I can see the logic for them, but I do think they have some negative, potential negative effects as well that perhaps some sometimes for through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the example mm-hmm.
0: that came to my mind immediately was the, the 2015 Slovak vote on um, mm-hmm. same-sex marriage, which also asked about same-sex adoption as well, um, which Mm. Was instead of running a no campaign, the um, kind of LGBT plus groups instead encouraged abstention because yeah. it was cheaper than fronting a no campaign as well. Considering that the yes campaign was quite well financed and it succeeded and it got well below. Yeah,
1: it. that happened in that happened in Romania when they had a gay marriage referendum as well. Um, there was a, there was a great line in a piece I read at the time. Which, um, from one voter, which said, I've had a look at the polling station and it's emptier than my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> which, I mean, there's nothing more offensive to a Romanian than an empty fridge. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: that kind of brushes up against another question of direct democracy, which is what should be on, like, what? What are the possibilities? Like, what should be on the ballot, and how to, um, mm. how can what's asked not go against other tenets of democracy, such as the protection of minorities? Mm. Like putting up, you know, gay marriage mm. for a vote. If it's if the turn if, if the end result of the referendum is that you know same-sex marriage is passed, everyone can celebrate that. But what happens when, like, for example, in California, a proposition, mm. don't remember what number. Um, people voted against free marriage. Mm. That you know, uh, yeah. yeah, not a not a nice thing to put up to vote,
3: right?
1: Yeah, and California has had numerous problems with referendums over the years because quite often the referendums that have been voted on. So, California had this long running problem that people would vote for referen- vote for referendums that would increase state spending and would also vote for referendums that held down taxes. So you had this long running problem where the government couldn't raise revenues, but was also mandated by referendums to spend a huge amount of money. And California ended up with kind of junk level debt because of this. Um, so, um, and that's a kind of obvious problem of referendums as well is that questions don't necessarily interlink to each other. Um, the Economist actually ran at the time a very good special issue on direct democracy, which I've, I read through occasionally when i was speaking about these things, which talked about the problems in California democracy and, uh, and argued that part of the problem there was the majoritarian nature of California's democracy and compared favorably to Switzerland, which as as I've said, and as I think Jonathan agrees, there are some problems with the way that the Swiss do democracy, uh, do direct democracy, but the Swiss have a very consensual way of doing referendums. Um, so, for example, um, where um, when a petition comes through, um, it goes to it. It doesn't go straight on the ballot. The question that the petitioners want to ask it goes to a special committee in the federal parliament and the, the special committee in the federal parliament then um, will then often produce an alternative question, which um, it will offer the petition bringers. And the petition bringers have an option to keep the original question or whether to take the parliamentary one. And they'll often take the parliamentary one because the, parliamentary, because the parliament will often come up with a better word of question anyway. Um, and because Swiss political culture is very consul- consensual. Um, to, sense, to some extent, referendums are forced to very consensual um, culture in Swiss, Swiss democracy because um, if, you're, if you can ha- launch referendums at any minute on any subject, the, um, the Swiss view of this was essentially that therefore for any sizeable opposition party, they um, become a tool with which to beat a government with. So therefore, you bring any sort of opposition party into the government. So that's why Switzerland has the four largest parties constantly in government, because um, um, because otherwise, if they're outside it, they may well just beat down the door with referendums constantly. Mm. Yeah. Um, so. so yeah, no, that
2: that's that's mm-hmm. one. So. Part of it is how it's conducted and the kind of political, like, kind of the nature of how consensual system is. Mm. But I think Mm. there should all, I mean, it's also a question of what is, what's correct to put on a referendum. It's very hard to to know beforehand, Mm. because in some cases, like in Ireland, it ends up advancing rights, which Mm. is, you know, great, lovely. Um, but mm. in some cases, it actually holds back rights. Yeah. When you were talking about California. Yeah, and there's prop, well, Proposition I
0: A. Both of those, in many ways. Yeah. I mean, we know the last few. It's become famous for having now referendums, which um, which which have repealed these various kind of socially conservative um, constitutional clauses it had. But I mean, previously, it's also used referendums to add them, add bans on abortion, etc. Um, yeah,
1: divorce but, as well. Yeah. yeah yeah
0: um, yeah just, yeah so it's
1: yeah and, and I think yeah. yeah I mean yeah and on oh, Chris. yeah and on gay marriage as well for instance that's now remembered very well but having a referendum on something like gay rights even if it goes positively can potentially expose uh, minorities so like um so um, Australia had a a site on, well, it it technically ended up being called a postal survey because the um, Australian Electoral Commission essentially refused to hold it (laughs) um, because it became um, so controversial to basically be putting gay rights to the vote. um, And because a lot of LGBT organisations were essentially arguing that if you do this, you will stoke up an atmosphere of homophobic discourse in society, which lead to attacks on people and uh, uh and yeah but fundamentally you know the 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 irish exercises remembered very is remembered quite well because of essentially because of the result they came out with exactly. um and, and because of the tone of the yes campaign which was um very well people remember the no campaign less well because the and the no campaign was absolutely horrendous (laughs) uh, but the Australian one is remembered incredibly badly and it's obviously it's the same question (laughs) essentially being put to people um it's just you know a, a, a different a different cultural memory about it because of and in part it was because in Australia the referendum wasn't necessary because Ireland, you have to have a referendum whenever you want to change the constitution. And it was in the constitution, so therefore there had to be a referendum. Um, whereas in Australia, it wasn't in the constitution. There's absolutely no reason legally whatsoever that they had to have a referendum. The only reason they had a referendum is because the um, governing the right-wing parties didn't agree and it was a way of trying. To, it, it, it didn't agree within themselves, and were quite factionalized in questions. So it was basically a way of it was essentially referendum as a party management tool, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> which you can see why people, why LGBT rights organisations would look on that less fondly.
3: Mm. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. No, there's a, there's
2: definitely no there's this there's a dark side. To direct democracy, I mean, and it's mm. used for political maneuvers all the time. I mean, Cameron was <laughs> Yeah, that
1: was a part of it. The yeah. referendum was essentially a party management referendum as well. Yeah, same as, um, I same as the one, one in same as the <laughs> Scottish independence one. I, 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 well, I that was more to... of a political management one in the sense that the SNP had won a majority and therefore there was a kind of public view that they had a had a mandate to... <laughs> To um, campaign to have an independence. Um so yeah. yeah. Um
2: there's there's no such thing as a like non politicized referendum unless it doesn't matter, right? I mean yeah. unless it's really about yeah. something that doesn't
3: matter and,
1: at all. And yeah, and the danger as we've seen in the UK afterwards is that you end up splitting society. Um, yeah. Yeah. um my supervisors most recent book, Brexit Land, with um with um, Maria Sobolewska, who's also an excellent um, academic at the University of Manchester, is essentially about how how Brexit changed our politics, um because it, not just in a sense of it, 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 because fundamentally it, it you know these divisions that Brexit has ended up coming associated with. Aren't exactly new to British society, but what it did was it like catalysed divisions that have kind of been bubbling under the surface for a long time, and suddenly it made mm-hmm. them the most salient questions in British society. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So fundamentally, we you know we ended up at a point where we were getting in academic surveys, we were getting people identifying with remain and leave far more strongly than they identified with political parties. Um, so that it was becoming the fundamental political split in the country, um in the way because of the fortunately, now that Brexit has settled, that has slightly gone away, albeit it' still you know fundamentally has reshaped our politics now. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, um in my university days, my college days, a professor would always lecture on Barabbas. Um, in the New Testament, and how Pontius Pilate in Yom Kippur could, you know, he would, he would, he would let the crowd of Jerusalem and the Jerusalem market vote on who to forgive, and so mm-hmm. the vote was between Jesus, Jesus Christ, and a notorious mm-hmm. um, thief, Barabbas, and mm-hmm. of course, the crowd voted for forgiving Barabbas from, you know, being a thief, and he's freed. He's forgiven that day so but that yeah um (laughs) he had all these he was a very this professor is a staunch kind of anti direct democracy sort of um position Mm. there's a lot of (laughs) examples
1: yeah which i think is a is a respectable position because direct democracy is fundamentally unpredictable uh, because once you throw questions out to the public uh, you don't quite know what the consequences will be um, and how people might react to those questions um, in a way that is, mm-hmm. is much more predictable with a small, highly informed group that um, that all knows each other, which is our parliament's function. Yeah. Um, so we were
3: talking well,
0: last it, week about how the German system favours stability and is designed to do so in one of these ways is no referendums. I'm yeah, Yeah.
2: yeah. Mm. I mean, however, like referendum are also or public science, you know, all forms of direct democracy, given the systems of representative democracies, can also be this catalyst for much needed change. So I'm thinking of referendum for example, in South America, Pinochet, you know, the no vote, mm. if there hadn't been a referendum, his, the transition to democracy would have taken much longer. It was a peaceful way of getting to that point without, mm. you know, blood on the streets. Um, yeah, absolutely. so absolutely. It's, it's a very powerful thing in, you know, as everyone can relate to this is like the
1: sovereign like the people are sovereign so if that's what yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and i think for some questions so for example on questions of national independence i think probably they are the only way to the, the 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 only way that you often solve the problem um they're not always the only way to do so sometimes you can have you know but people don't usually accept um parliaments voting on these things as being a high enough bar of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, I think that, and unless we want to say that as Spain does, just essentially debating independence is, is banned, um, which I don't think it's a particularly democratic way of going about things. Um, and then, oh, oh, and, and I think probably stores up long-term problems um it, um visa vis the state um it, i i think it's a uh it, it, I, I think referendums do have their uses there for instance, even if you know Scottish referendum has for example been suggested to have some some problems in terms of its design practice uh, mm. yeah mm. this has been.
2: Maybe, maybe this is too long of a parenthesis for it to work, but I could, you know, um, maybe also talk about the fact that only 7% of Mexicans showed up to this, this referendum. Far below the 40% that was needed by constitution yeah. to make it mandatory.
3: Yeah,
1: this is a funny thing, we've not actually talked about the results yet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the results are irrelevant. We we, we we set it up so that people would know, our listeners would know that the results were irrelevant because the question was so, you know, utterly confusing and- Yeah,
1: you know, I, meant, for, meant for anyone who is interested, there was an overwhelming, of the 7% that turned out that they voted 99% in favor of the question. Which exactly. I think is not unsurprising given that you'd probably expect the only people to bother turning up to be people who'd be basically hardcore Amnesty exactly. supporters. Exactly. Um so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So um yeah. But yeah, seven percent turnout kind of says it all. Yeah. Now. Yeah, it does.
2: It doesn't it doesn't because the annoying thing about this is I really think it's just a game of interpretation more than Mm. there's never going there was never going to be a clear mandate. And politics has now meant that this very low turnout has led Amlo and his supporters to now blame the Electoral Commission for the low turnout. Without looking at the law, which I think is part of the story of the low turnout, at the wording of the question, which is definitely you know, a uh, part of that, the turn, the, the, the story yeah. of low turnout. Yeah. And then...
1: Yeah. And yeah. it's worth, it's worth reminding listeners just for a second, in terms of the law, this is a president and a party with an incredibly large mandate in terms of its lost election result. It has a majority in Congress on its own. Um, it can, uh, so it can, his party, which is incredibly loyal to him because his party is—it's essentially the Amlo party. Um, yeah. It's um, you yeah. know, so if if that law is a problem, he can change it. Um yeah. his party can change it. Um, and if anything in the constitution is a problem, with his political allies, he still has—I think you said—for the next month, a yeah. constitutional majority with their co- with their coalition partners. Yeah, so. Yeah. He, he he can essentially change the constitution, unilaterally you know, as well, with with some negotiation amongst his coalition partners. But, yeah, he, he mean, needs
2: he are, needs he needs some negotiation, and at the uh, level of the Senate, he needs like a couple of senators. But he's done yeah. it before. It wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be. A yeah. he could do it. Yeah, he could do
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. Do it. Um, and, and particularly, I mean, if it's a genuine anti-corruption measure, yeah, like but you will find that support somewhere in the Senate because it's a populist move, essentially. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's... The law... <laughs> law doesn't... Fit, because, I mean, what else is politics about if it's not about changing the law? <laughs> like, why, why have you run for election if it's not to change laws? <laughs> <You know.
2: laughs> yeah, in this case, it's... Mm-hmm. it's also about changing I mean weirdly enough it's also about changing mm. perceptions maybe or breaking yeah. I don't know domineering in a in a weird way um yeah but uh, I love, yeah I love, yeah I love the phrase by uh, Deborah Stone who's this uh, political scientist who says in politics sometimes you win by losing so you know you need a foil and sometimes that foil actually serves a larger goal i really hope this is not the case but you know um amlo has been very very critical of the electoral management body and his his political career was it's kind of been based around crying fraud in elections so he's yeah. got this whole discourse ready and i really hope this isn't you know the beginning of a kind of more systematic critique of the management body which is fine which it does its job and yeah no, it shouldn't be meddled with i think at this point so
1: yeah yeah i, I mean he's always been something of a populist um, oh yeah and but his his presidency has really leaned into that which is um yeah uh, and and it would be unfortunate if the electoral management agency came under attack simply for following the law you Know you, there's if you, you want to criticize that law, that's fine. But, like, as I said, he has the abilities to change it. There's not, nothing, there's nothing to say he can't change the law. Um, yeah, so, um, uh, so yeah, I do find it a little bit aggravating, <laughs> absolutely, totally.
0: Okay, shall we wrap up there for uh, yes, i think... and direct democracy? Um let's let's
2: we... hold it to a vote. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: <laughs> I think it's unanimous to be honest, but never mind. Oh uh, yeah,
2: yeah. Agreed, agreed, agreed. It's <laughs> just being just being funny here.
0: Um, so I think, given the options we put on the Twitter poll, we'll be talking about electoral manipulation next week.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we will probably figure out what that means. Yes, Unlike uh,
0: it's a very uh, process for you. Um, we've set the, the we've set the referendum question, and now we will interpret the results.
1: Um, How um, would you like? <laughs> um,
0: yeah. And I think I think. Coming after that, we have at some point um a Nova Scotia election in the next few weeks, which will be the oh,
1: first
0: vote to talk about in a in a while, I think. Um, and then I think we'll be back in touch with you again about another thematic episode for for another few weeks. Yeah. yeah. The September deluge begins. Um, mm. but yeah, until next week, um uh we'll see you then. And- absolutely and yeah and as always please do rate and subscribe wherever mm-hmm. you're
1: listening yeah absolutely All
0: right bye everyone
1: Goodbye. bye bye bye